All right, let's kick off hour two with some stuff that we missed from yesterday. It's called About Last Night. Sam, what did we miss? Thanks, John. We got some news in the NFL. Uh, the competition committee is pitching new kickoff rules uh, as they are attempting to adopt the XFL model, which has the kicking team lined up at the opponent's 35 uh, return team lined up at the 30, and then only the kicker and the returner are allowed to move until the ball is touched. Um, you know, obviously, kickoffs and everything like that, kind of a big source of injury in the league. Um, is it still? Yeah, it. I mean, these numbers are saying that a lot of, pretty much a lot of these touchbacks and stuff like, it was a lot of touchbacks and a lot of fair catches, not really many returned kicks so far this year, but I guess... That's just kind of the the portion of the game, I guess, that they're trying to. to I, cut back I understood on. back in the day when they're like, "Hey, we no longer want people running full speed, trying to be a wedge buster and take on three blocks at one time." And basically, one guy's job is just to run as hard as he can and blow that up. I understood that, like, "Hey, let's let's get rid of it." But you know, if they wanted to look at the XFL rules, I guess that would be them wanting to get kickoffs back. They they want to set up a play that seems safer where you remove people running full speed but also brings kickoff and you know some variance of field position starting position and and maybe some long returns brings that back i kind of like it i think it makes va- uh, returners more valuable yeah the xfl rules were what like so basically the defense got to start like at the 25 yeah i think you're well you're on the 30 and like the team that's kicking off is five yards ahead uh, uh, like in front of you basically the kick is still coming from you know yeah. 60 yards away yes. but the defense is is, on, is five yards away from you yeah and then once the returner touches the ball that's when the defense can then start to go block the returning team right but you is, know until then it's just you, you know what the yard line still. is where the defense is starting like what, what i think it's the 35 the 35 okay i guess the 20 or 25 would be too short but 35 would make sense yeah. It kind of makes the meeting. Opponents meeting. lined up at the 35, return team lined up at the 30. Okay. I guess that kind of makes the meeting point around the 20-yard line. Something like that, yeah. I would, I would have no problem if they adopted this or at least tried it out. Maybe they have to let it go through the, the UFL one more year. Yeah, I don't know. It You know, you've obviously got to have the, the majority vote from all the owners. So, yeah, maybe they want to see it kind of get – redone for another year in the XFL or whatever. It, it's such a funny idea of like them having this in meetings and like having to get the owners to vote. Like if I was an owner and I'm 80 year old, I don't know who's the oldest owner now. I mean, Jerry Jones cares about everything, but I was Probably thinking the like, Lions lady, right? Yeah. I was thinking about like Rooney, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, the, what the Texans owner I just saw was like, I guess the son has, has quit his lawsuit trying to like get the, the parents under like, conservatorship and like i guess they've they've backed off that was trying to basically like take control of the team behave this person's unable to 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 make decisions but i'm laughing thinking about some 85 year old and they're like arguing about the kickoff return no we can't do that we got to respect the game or who cares is whatever we'll show up the checks are still going to cash right that's what i'd be saying if i was an owner in most situations <laughs> so get paid Value still going to go up. All right, we're good. Don't waste my time. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're good. Do whatever you want with your little kickoffs. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, some big news out of the college football NIL landscape yesterday. Jackson Dart, Old Miss's quarterback, inked uh, NIL deal with Nicholas Ayer, making it the first partnership uh, of its kind. He is partnering with a private jet company. Uh, this is through Jeff Hoffman and Everett Sports Marketing. Uh, he's going to be able to use private jets for travel, training, and philanthropy. He's a legend. <laughs> what a deal, man. For philanthropy. Philanthropy. I like how they threw that at the end. Yeah. I'm going to fly through the sky on my private jet for philanthropy. <laughs> Who do you think he is, Taylor Swift? <laughs> hey! That is, uh, I don't know, man. Is this a Ole Miss? Is this an Oxford-based company? Is this an um, Ole Miss booster? Like, do we? Is there a tie there? Because is it, Everett Sports Marketing is based out of Greenville, South Carolina. 
So right, but like, is the is the why is this airline or this private air company like? Why are they partnering with Jackson Dark? Is he is he the biggest star coming back to school next year? Is he is he that guy? Jackson Dart to me kind of feels a little Joe Milton-y in terms of offseason NIL deals of like some hype kind of going into the next year. To me, it just feels like Matt Corral. Like he's solid quarterback, that's fine, but like not good enough to actually like win anything of note. Now Ole Miss is set up for success. I, I get that, but like I, I don't know. I don't look at him as if he's the best returning quarterback. Then to me, that means there's not very many big stars coming back to school. Nicholas Air has brand new state of the art headquarters in Oxford, Mississippi. Okay. Well, there you go. That makes sense. That that's a good way to welcome yourself into that community. Hey, here we are, everybody. By the way, your quarterback's going to be well paid and happy. Wow, that's a. Can you imagine being a college kid saying, "Hey, man, we're let's go." You know, your mom texting you, "Come on home, honey." Yeah. All right, I'll just hop oh, in the no, private man. jet. No, 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 man. <laughs> you're getting your boys and you're heading to Vegas. Uh, Vegas, the, baby. That's yeah. the philanthropy. Yeah, they're yeah. donating their money to Vegas. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, in the NFL, does it say how? Sorry, so, no, does it say good. how much he gets to use it? Like, is it just unlimited travel? Is yeah, it just like I, hey, you get like three flights a year or something. Because like you said, Sarkeesian had like what twenty five hours or something. Like, I'd imagine Dart's not getting a better deal than Sarkeesian now with someone else's private jet. I doubt it. I, I didn't see any any flight log hours on this article. So yeah, but but even even if it was even if it was like twenty twenty five hours, I mean that's a lot. That's a bunch of trips because it's not just for you. It's the use of the plane. So it's however many passengers. I mean that's how they bill those things. You have they have an hourly rate, but it's you know if it's six seater you can bring six people, you know. Do you charge do you charge your five friends? <laughs> like, hey, it's free for me, but I'm gonna need to at least throw in a little bit on gas. Like, I was gonna or or I would just say you're gonna be buying my drinks wherever we yeah, go. I'm not paying for anything this weekend. You guys get the hotel and everything. I got air travel. Yeah. Or it's like, hey, no, it's free. Come on, man. You make all this money. You don't need to to nickel and dime us. I don't know. It's a dilemma. It is a dilemma. It's a good dilemma to have if you're a college guy. So, so far, the, the people who have gotten big NIL money in the offseason, the big deals, Joe Milton, it didn't work out. Like he, he was a poster boy last year for like going around doing the the barstool circuit, you know, ringing the bell, the Nasdaq, and all those things. Like he he did not succeed at Tennessee. We'd agree on that, right? Like I don't want to argue and relitigate how good he was or whatever, but like you wouldn't call him a success last year. He didn't elevate his game, right? I'm not going to say that it's because of NIL and the offseason stuff, but it wasn't like he was in there training as hard as he should have been. It wasn't like he was like he didn't come back. And you're like, wow, he's added something to his game. He's gotten much better. We agree on that. Who else has been somebody like I know Jordan Addison when he left Pittsburgh to go to USC. He was solid, but like he wasn't as good. But I don't know if that was just a. I, I think one of the biggest ones was it was right on the advent of NIL was Spencer Rattler. Okay, he had like huge deals with like Mercedes and other yeah. stuff, and then you know he well he got benched. Yeah, I mean, he went to South Carolina and was, I think, pretty good for them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about the Texas era, or the Oklahoma era, yeah. rather. Bo Nix, maybe? Okay, was he like a big guy? I, mean, I don't know, I'm just thinking. I feel like he got some big money from Oregon to leave Auburn. Okay. Um, I, I guess, but I still don't remember, like, any, like, promotional campaigns. Like, these are pretty few and far between, I feel like. Like, in terms of being out there in the public spotlight and having this stuff, like, Put under a microscope, sure. right? Because you had some Miami players, you know, they, they as a collective were put under the microscope and they sucked, right? Like, you know, you're talking about how much John Reeves was paying all those guys and, hey, you come to Miami, you're guaranteed X amount of dollars a month and this is how we're going to do it. And then that team was terrible. But, like, in terms of guys being the faces of, like, huge campaigns, I don't know how many we've actually had. Like, okay. Milton, I don't think it worked out. But, like, if Jackson Dark all of a sudden comes out here and sucks next year. Yeah. Does this put like an end to that and be like, hey, these college kids can't handle this extra pressure of having to be a spokesman and do all this extra appearances and, and be have smoke blown up their ass, for lack of a better term, for, for a, an entire offseason? What about like Shadur? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe. 
Like on the women's side, like Caitlin Clark has been done all the State Farm commercials, and obviously she's came out and still yeah. performed. And yeah. I was going to say Bryce Young, his senior year, and then last season Caleb Williams yeah. were doing Caleb the Williams. Dr. Pepper commercials. Caleb Williams on Wendy's. I mean, he's yeah. all over the place. And I don't think anybody would say he was better this year than last year. No. Now, USC was obviously disappointing, but I don't know if that was all Caleb Williams or just you know, all the defense. Caleb Williams didn't ruin his draft stock or anything, so it's not like he had a, a disastrous year where he went from right. the number one pick to, you know, down to the eight to ten or twelve pick like we've seen some guys do. You know, we had Sam Darnold, we had, you know, uh, Mark Sanchez, we had Matt Barkley, we've had some guys. I guess they're all USC guys that had lived that Hollywood lifestyle and then like you know kind of ruined their draft stock. It didn't happen with Caleb Williams, although I don't think anyone thinks he was as good as he was his Heisman Trophy year. So I'll be interested to see how Jackson Dart does. Go ahead, Sam. Uh, in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs general manager, Brett Veach, uh, he comes out yesterday saying they're going to use uh, the tag on either Chris Jones or cornerback Legereus Sneed. Um, kind of more regarding Legereus Sneed, they said if they can't get a long-term deal worked out there, they are open to a trade. Uh, so that one will be interesting. You know, obviously Chris Jones – was kind of the talk of, of the NFL offseason heading into this season, uh, you know, holding out and everything and, and kind of refusing to sign that contract. If they wanted to tag him, uh, he would be $32 million, Oof. and a tag for Sneed would cost 19 So this is uh, an interesting decision that the Chiefs have to make. Obviously, they want to keep both, but we'll see how, how the financials you, you, can you keep, keep that. keep Chris Jones. Absolutely. That's what I think. Because they have the other cornerback who's really good too, right? Is McDuffie, McDuffie, yeah. yeah. You, you keep him. They said, like, hey, we're willing to franchise tag and trade Sneed. They're saying we're just not letting him go for free. Right. Which right. makes sense. And and the extra, you know, $8 million on the cap that kind of was found money because they thought it was going to be 242 and it went up to 250 The salary cap in general, I think, raised like $35 million this year. So that allows teams to kind of keep some of these players. But also means the players are like, hey, there's a little bit extra money to get thrown around. So, you know, someone like the Titans who has $90 million in cap space that desperately needs a cornerback, you would think would pay more than the Chiefs would to get this guy away. But if you're Kansas City, like you're a defensive team now. Like your defense is what won you the Super Bowl. Yeah. Your defense is what had you like in the – winning the division and, and advancing in the playoffs. I know Mahomes is great, but, like, they were a defensive team this year. Yeah, so, I think Chris Jones is second-best player on that team. Yeah, I mean, Snead and McDuffie, obviously, the you know, the best quarterback tandem in the league, and 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 Snead's a big part of that. So losing him does feel like a pretty big loss. But, yeah, if you lose Chris Jones, you know, that that's, that's a gigantic hole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lastly – just in the uh, NFL Combine, comes out yesterday. Not exactly a surprise, but Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels all will not be throwing at the Combine. Uh, also, you know, kind of a, a story, I guess, is that Marvin Harrison Jr. is basically just not doing the Combine in general. He's not doing anything. Yeah, so he's not even not hiring an anything. agent. Not doing anything. He's doing nothing. He's like, I'm good. Watch <laughs> my tape. Look Call at my, my dad. Look at my name and yeah. look at my tape. Yeah. <laughs> Watch my dad. He was pretty good. <laughs> yep. I got those jeans, and I, and unlike some of the loser kids that come from from great dads, I'm I'm as good as he is. Yeah, I might be better. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Where was Marvin Harrison Senior drafted? Was he a first round pick? Was he a second round pick? Was he? I want to say he was a first round pick, but it was a little later in the sure. first round, like teens. Like yeah. for some reason, I'm thinking like 19, but I might be yeah. making that up. I didn't know, like, because yeah, the pedigree. Is there, but yeah, 19, Marvin. Nineteen, a boy. What was it? Nineteen. Really? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I don't know why that stood out to me. But he's just got the he's got better size than his dad, obviously. Well, yeah. No, I'm yeah. saying like, uh, but I'm just saying like, dude, Marvin Harrison was really, really good in yeah, the NFL. No, obviously, so saying, obviously. Yeah. So like, I mean, that's that's putting a lot on Junior to live up to that. But he has the chance to. You're right. Like he could be as good as his dad, and he has a better start in terms of where he's getting drafted and the expectations bestowed upon him. Sure. That's what so I'm if saying, I'm him, I'm like, hey, just watch the film. I'm good. <laughs> if you don't want to draft me, that's fine. I'll go. So, you know, it might even be better for him. Like, hey, maybe if I go a couple spots lower to a better team. I wonder where he's trying to go. Yeah. I, I don't want to go to New England. Don't take me New England. But if Arizona wants to take me, okay, I'll go to Arizona. 
I'll go play a collar and I'll go play in you know, a good weather and a good stadium. But I'm, if I'm New England, I don't want to go there. I don't have an agent. I'm not doing the combine. That's not the Patriot way. Let's stay on football for the next segment. Uh, college football playoff odds came out. I don't know if you saw that, Bob, in terms of the the projections, I guess, uh, and the odds of teams making the 12-team playoff. We'll hit that next. We'll get back to basketball at 8.30. Stats by Will coming on. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. The segment's brought to you by Knoxville Smiles. Don't put off your dental visits any longer. Dr. Stephen Malone and his staff, they want to take care of you. They take pride in listening to and communicating with their patients to help them make the best decisions about their dental health. Contact Knoxville Smiles today at 865-539-1776. You can also take a virtual tour of their state-of-the-art West Knoxville facility at KnoxvilleSmiles.com. KnoxvilleSmiles.com. It is basketball season. It is championship season. But I did want to stay on football just for a little bit. The Bet Online, the offshore sports book, they put up the first look I've seen at odds of 12-team playoff and odds to make the 12-team playoff and enlisted quite a few teams. The heavy favorites, no surprise, Ohio State and Georgia. What a what a treasured life that must be to come in with one to ten odds that you're going to make the playoff. That's where Ohio State is. They're minus one thousand. Heavy favorites. Georgia minus nine hundred. A little surprised that Oregon and Texas are minus five hundred, especially Oregon. I know they're, you know, gonna be talented still under Dan Lanning, but are losing their quarterback. And going to a tougher conference. A different conference. Like, we haven't really talked about that, but, like, it does seem like it's going to be a big deal that their conference road trips are going to be so far. Like, when it comes to actually projecting, like, their success. Having to get on a plane and travel from Oregon to to Happy Valley. Or, you know, wherever. East Lansing. Those are long plane rides, it feels like. I mean, it feels like at least different than what they've had to do. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's... No, I, I think there's there's definitely some uh, substance to that from the standpoint, if you think about, if you draw a corollary with basketball, the only time they, that there's trips typically that long in the basketball seasons when they go and play for multiple day tournaments, Yeah, you know, for around the holidays and stuff. And I mean, some of that's because it's in nicer weather places, et cetera, but, but it's the same type of deal. You don't, it's hard to imagine going and traveling and, you know, you get in there day before and do a run through and then play the game and then get out. It's like, I do think that's going to be hard. I'm not great at geography. So maybe like the plane ride from Oregon to, to Utah is, is sneaky long. Maybe that's just as far as going from, from Oregon to like Michigan. I don't know. It's no, no, it's much shorter. Yeah. Uh, or Oregon or, you know, Oregon or, or Washington, I guess to LA, maybe that's a sneaky long trip. I, I don't know, but like, it feels much longer to me. Texas, minus 500. So those are your top four. Are those all from different conferences, too? No, Oregon and Georgia. Okay, four from the SEC and Big Ten, the the two conferences that matter. Uh, Clemson, minus 250 right there with Florida State because I guess someone has to win the ACC. Right. Same for Kansas, minus 200. Someone's got to win what's left of the Big 12. K-State. Yeah, what did I say? Kansas. Oh, sorry. K-State, Kansas. Not not the Jayhawks. They're – they're not minus 250 to make the playoff or minus 200. Then you get to where it gets to coin flip propositions at best. Michigan and Utah. Michigan seems a little high just with everything they've left and their coaching staff being completely replaced. Excuse me. And then you get to the plus money. Miami at even money seems way too high. <laughs> Yeah. They do realize Mario Cristobal is still the coach there, right? And they's due for one dumb loss a year. How do they have better odds than Ole Miss? Ole Miss is right behind them. But. The only thing I could make sense of is that it's the ACC and that yeah. someone has to win it and that 
Miss, that, that Miami has a much better chance of winning the ACC than Ole Miss does of actually winning the SEC. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, that's it. Because Ole Miss, their schedule, their talent is set up to go 10-2, and two, and that gets you in the playoff. Miami's got that plus Cam, 175. Miami's got that Cam Ward kid, too. He sure. Went, he went and you know didn't go to the draft and chose to go to Miami. Yeah, He's I mean, that's solid. an update over Ward, but I don't know how big of an upgrade – or an upgrade over Van Dyke, but I don't know – if Ward all of a sudden makes them a playoff team, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know anything else about their roster. I just know Cam Ward's a good player. So so far, there's your top what five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ole Miss eleven at two to one. Here's where you get Arizona, Penn State, and Tennessee. How do we feel about being lumped in with those teams? Do you think that we're on par with Arizona and Penn State? It's kind of like, hey. You're Penn State. You're going to win nine or ten games. You're probably not going to win your conference. Here you go, two to one. Because you could kind of maybe say the same thing about Tennessee this year. Hey, nine or ten wins, probably not going to win the conference over Georgia and Texas. Here you go, two to one. Does that feel fair to lump Tennessee with Penn State? I think it feels fair. I, I Look, we, we have all that ambition about getting to the playoffs, and I'm with it. Um, and I think there's a good shot, but I don't think it's a lock. So that that seems fair, being right on kind of the edge. Yeah, yeah. I think you're a, a – let's see, how many teams did I say 11 was Ole Miss? And then, yeah, you got the 12th best odds to make a 12-team playoff. Yeah. Which means you need to have one other two of those teams kind of slip up. Notice I haven't said Alabama, by the way. I know. Love it. I was just about to say that. Love it. Alabama comes in next at plus 225. So, do you agree or disagree that Tennessee has a better chance to make the playoff than Alabama? I agree. Yeah, I agree as well. Strongly. Okay. I would say that, you know, we would be maybe a little biased being here in Knoxville, but the odds makers agree. So we're not biased. We're just correct. The projection <laughs> checks out. Biased and correct. Biased and correct. Well, I don't think you could be biased and correct. If you're, if you're <laughs> correct, you're just correct. Sure. I think it's fair, though. I mean, you you got to factor in, even though DeBoer's a great coach, you got to factor in bringing in a new coach and everything. And the schedule's not as easy as it is yeah. typically, too. Yep. I'm a little surprised for some reason. I don't know. I don't have their schedule in front of me, but they have LSU at plus 250. Yeah, I was going to say there's some big teams that we haven't mentioned. LSU's one of them. They're giving LSU the same odds as Kansas. Now, of course, they're breaking in a new quarterback and losing a top receiver so it might be tough for Brian Kelly down there and he he has doubled down or tripled down on on keeping Perkins at inside linebacker versus letting him just rush the quarterback which seems dumb to me and then yeah Notre Dame right there at plus 250 as well looky where Missouri is plus 550 it seems like good value when you look at their schedule, God, I hate them. Where they're starting the year at, it's not like they're going to have to come from out of nowhere. Like they're going to be a preseason top twelve team, right? Yeah, I would think so. How does A and M have better odds than them? I don't know. Uh, maybe they're thinking there's just a get rid of Jimbo Fisher boost. Colorado at plus twenty two hundred, Florida at plus two thousand. I don't think there's a chance in hell Florida makes the no, play. That's disrespectful to Colorado, Florida, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you want to bet on Florida at 20-1, just call me. I'll, I'll, I'll book your bets. Uh-huh. And then if you win, I'll just delete your number and block it and not, not pay you out the 20-to-1 odds. But Florida's not making the playoff. I guess with their schedule, though, if you go 9-3, and three, you might have a chance. Maybe that's what they're saying is, like, if you <laughs> – if you somehow find your way at 9-3 and three against that schedule, maybe maybe you got enough quality wins to make it worth to, – to make it work. So Tennessee tied for 12th best odds, plus 200. So when we've talked about it, we've, we've kind of made it seem a little bit more likely than that. But I do still think it, you're, you're in the conversation, and it is the goal for the season. I also think there's like four teams in that list that will – end up falling out of that as well that are ahead of you yeah do you have predictions on those four teams i'm gonna go ahead and say i'd feel better about utah um probably michigan um miami 
and one of the ACC teams. See, I'll, I'll take Utah over Kansas State. Me too. I agree. Uh, give me Utah getting in, Kansas State falling out. Like I, I think they're finally going to have at least a grasp on their quarterback situation. It was such a, a joke last year in terms of trying to figure out who was playing who wasn't playing, and is Cam Rising going to get cleared? Is he not? I think they go to a new conference and, and perform better. But, yeah, like Kansas State, I don't see them as a playoff team. All right, we'll switch back to basketball. Stats by Will coming on to preview Tennessee-Auburn after the break. Stick with us. A brand. Bloody bottoms is underneath because I might got it out the streets. I keep a hundred racks inside my jeans. I remember hitting them all with the whole team. Not can't ask a call because I'm balling. I was waking up getting racks in the morning. Show me my opponent, Tennessee versus Auburn. Stats by Will, the best in the business. Coming on to preview right now. Will, scale of 1 to 100, how big is this game tonight? About a 90, 90, 95, I'm feeling. Is it bigger than the Alabama game? That's a good point. Now, yeah, if you compare the two, this is probably bigger. But Alabama becomes a 110 out of 100 if you don't win tonight. Sure. I agree with that. But, yeah, we, we, we've said that we think this game tonight is bigger just because if you lose to Auburn, Auburn now in the driver's seat, at least to beat you in the standings in the SEC championship. Whereas if you win tonight, I think you can still afford a loss to Alabama and still have a chance. That goes out the window tonight. So, yeah, 90 tonight, which is bigger than Alabama, but a loss would then make Alabama a must win. agree with that. Yeah, and I think I want to clarify, we're saving like, you know, 95, 97, et cetera, for postseason. Yeah, this isn't do or die. This isn't win yeah. or go home. But I hate it's, when people it's still say very it's, important. I hate when people say it's a must win whenever it's not like a season ender. It's not a must win. But when you look at Auburn, what's the thing they do best on film? I think they're a great, great defensive team. Really good at slowing teams down. The, it, they, it's funny to, to think of the Iron Bowl as the big rivalry now because they do functionally play defense like Alabama. Keep everything in front of you. Uh, they don't allow many threes. They're going to run shooters off the line. But the unique thing about playing Auburn that you uh, honestly don't really get playing anybody other than, I would argue, Tennessee, they will funnel you to the rim a good bit because they're that confident Broom and Dylan Cardwell can block shots. And to be fair, they've been really smart at doing that. They're number three in the nation in a field goal percentage allowed at the rim this year, despite allowing a really high uh, attempt rate down there. Is it possible to say that, because I look at the same thing, Will, with, you know, Janai Broom and now Jalen Williams, it sounds like they keep saying maybe game time decision, but it doesn't seem like he would play – but if you think of Broom and Chad baker Mazar, it's almost like in some ways um, kind of protect Auburn. If, if Auburn can protect them from themselves in terms of guard play, that's another that's another factor, too. It's like they kind of go as Trey Donaldson and, dare I say, KD Johnson goes, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a for, – for a team that I would argue their four best players are wings or forwards, they are extraordinarily high variance on offense. I mean, I put it in the uh, piece, they've had four games of 1.33 points per possession or above, which is an amazing night against any opponent, and four of .95 or lower. The only other big six team to do that this year is Baylor, who's similarly frustrating to watch. And it's because, you know, you generally know what you're going to get from Broom, and when Jalen Williams is available, you know what you're going to get from Williams, but he's not available. Baker Mazar is Good, but not a star offensively. More of he's a really great defensive player, but kind of the second option on offense. The guards just run so hot and cold that they really are a, a truly chaotic unit on offense. Where, and it's not just Johnson. Trey Donaldson makes some truly horrendous decisions with the ball in his hands. Denver Jones, who is an FIU transfer that scored 20 a game last year, kind of just a role player right now. Hasn't really found his stride inside the perimeter. Even Aiden Holloway, the five-star freshman, second lowest two-point percentage by any player in the SEC in the last 17 years. So, I could, but the thing is, you look at all of that, 
And yeah, they shot 14 for 26 from three in their last game. It's just they could do that. They could shoot three of 27 like they did at App State. They have an alarmingly wide range of outcomes. Statsbywill.substack.com. Go subscribe, go subscribe, go subscribe. What's Tennessee's biggest way to attack Auburn's defense? I really like the idea of pushing in transition. This Auburn team, you know, it, you'll see in the stats they don't commit a lot of turnovers, but the, my favorite, you know, coachism, I guess, is, you know, a bad shot is as good as a turnover, and Auburn loves a bad shot, buddy. Uh, when Katie Johnson's on the court, anything could be going up at any possible time, and honestly, the same with the rest of the guards. So when Auburn starts, you know, barfing up 27-footers and they, you know, hammer off the rim, Tennessee needs to push the pace, like, early and often in this game. I kind of think it's not the exact same, but it's a similar game plan to what you had for Alabama where you're a little handsy, you're forcing turnovers, but you're also, you know, driving them inside, you know, forcing some tougher shots and not allowing them to get back and set their defense up. When Auburn sets up a half-court defense, it's really hard to pick apart. But in transition, they foul like crazy. They It's uh, on a synergy this year, 219 field goal attempts out in transition, 118 free throws. I mean, Florida and Kentucky both got at least 10 free throws uh, in transition alone. So I, I think pushing the pace off of missed shots and turnovers is really going to be key here to pick up some easy points. Where does Tennessee rank in terms of pace? Because it feels like over the last handful of games, you, you have seen Tennessee go a little bit faster and kind of pick up full-court pressure and try to speed up the opponent. I've, I've noticed that against maybe some undermanned teams especially. Where does Tennessee rank in pace, and am I correct in saying that we are picking it up lately? Yeah, I, I think they're picking it up lately. The pace of the last few games has been quite a bit faster. You know, the average possessions per game this year in college hoops is 68, which is you know <laughs> traditionally pretty low. But, you know, just the last five games, 69, 72, 72, 69, 73 possessions, this one's projected at 71. Tennessee likes to play fast, especially in offense. You know, right now, average possession length, 15.8 seconds offensively. That's 25th fastest in the nation. They push the pace quick and honestly better than, I would argue, any other Barnes team. I don't think the Grant and Admiral team was this good at pushing the pace. I would honestly argue this is the best team at pushing the pace on offense since Bruce was on campus. So, uh, I mean, they do a really good job of it. But more importantly to me, you watch a Tennessee game and you know what you're going to get. You're going to get the opponent getting down to seven, six, five, four seconds on the shot clock every other possession. Tennessee knows when to push the pace in offense, but they can really choke the life out of you on the other end. Now, typically I like pushing the pace against undermanned teams, right, because I do think Tennessee has a depth advantage over most teams. I don't think that's the case over Auburn. Are they still playing 10 deep? Because I know earlier in the season they were doing full bench units. Are they still doing that? So with Williams out, it's now nine deep. They did drag uh, Leor Berman, who somehow is still playing, along with Chris Moore, two like COVID era Auburn guys, uh, out of the uh, the depth. So they're they're still technically going ten deep, but it's more like a nine right now. But the thing again is, you know, we talk about you know you'd rather have more possessions and you know you've got the deeper team and the better team. But I'd still say, you know. Given Auburn's serious struggles with fouling, the 313th in defensive free throw rate, six of the nine rotation players average four fouls or more for 40 minutes. I think you got to attack like all game long. You know, you have to make them uncomfortable. You know that KD Johnson is good for a couple of random frustration fouls, and you know, especially, you want to get Broom in foul trouble. If you get Broom in foul trouble, like 10 minutes into this game. I can't really tell you where Auburn's points are going to reliably come from. Let's talk for a second about a guy I've been mentioning. He he drives me nuts, but I do have respect for his game, and that's Chad Baker-Mazzara because all the histrionics you see with him on the court and all of the behavioral stuff, it seems to me, though, that he brings serious energy to that team. I mean, have you looked in your in your statistical dives that you do uh, what kind of influence he has when he's on the court for them? Well, it's funny, you know, you talk about the histrionics with him. Auburn's foul rate does go way up when he plays. There, It goes from something like, you know, 34 
free throw attempt rate, which is 34 free throws for every 100 field goal attempts, to about 44 when he's out there. But at the same time, he makes the offense a lot better because he shoots 42% from three. And he's, for a six foot seven guy who's 180 pounds, remarkably stout defender. I mean, he is, he's very good at holding up against bigger guys. He is, I would say, honestly, their best all around defensive player, period, because, you know, Broom, I think, can get in foul trouble. He's a great rim protector, but he he can't guard out to the perimeter is what I'm getting at. Baker Mazar really can guard one through five where needed. And that's that's what makes him such a key piece of uh, of this attack. Do you think he gets the assignment with, with Dalton? I think he has to. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you look at the rest of the roster, and that is really the only wing-like thing they've got available tonight. Because normally it would be Jalen Williams who would get that assignment. But Williams is unlikely to play. We're, I'm going to assume that he's not going to come back from what looked to be a pretty bad knee injury in 10 days. I feel like that's a safe guess. So if you don't have him, it's either Baker Mazzara or Chaney Johnson. And Chaney Johnson was at a D2 team last year. So I, I do not anticipate that anybody other than Baker Mazzara is going to get the lion's share of the work there. They'll try Chris Moore out. Um, I don't feel like that's going to be terribly effective for them because I don't really rate Chris Moore, but they will try it. But the thing is, if you get Baker Mazar in foul trouble and he averages four and a half fouls per 40, there's not a great backup option because like, you're not going to throw six foot four Denver Jones on him. You're not going to put Katie Johnson on him for very long because Katie Johnson will commit two fouls. So I think if you can, if Connect can be aggressive, drive to the hoop, get some fouls on some guys, that's going to matter a lot pretty quickly. You know, throughout the season, at least you know since we started the show, we've talked about here on the show, we need 14 to 16 points from Vescovy and James. I'm reading your piece, statsbywill.substack.com, and or is it substack.statsbywill? Either way, you have a number that the non-connect players have to get to. What is that number? 55. So, and this is... I kind of thought this was the case, but I didn't. I hadn't bothered to research it until now. When the non-connect players score fifty-five or more points, Tennessee is eighteen and one. The one loss was UNC. So fifty-five uh, points you need from the non-connect players. Yeah, three and five otherwise. So it is like we love when Dalton has the thirty-five, thirty-seven point games, but you can't rely on him to do that all on his own. You've got to give him some help. So. I think this is a huge game for Zakai, Vescovy, James. And really, you know, when I looked through the scout and saw Auburn struggles with post-up defense, feels like it could be a pretty big Tobe Awaka game, too. Yeah, talk about Awaka and Adu playing together. Do we think that's something that makes sense tonight against Auburn? Because the emergence of Awaka makes it hard to keep him, you know, on the bench for, for 25 minutes a night. Yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting piece of I, I don't mind seeing it. It really is just a thing that probably works against certain teams and not against others. Like To be honest, I wouldn't run it against Alabama because I don't trust Tobey Awaka to switch very well. Sure. But that being said, I think it's gotten a lot better. I think you know the ADU and Awaka lineup right now sitting at a plus 37.3 net rating for 100 possessions, which just means it's you know, really freaking good. How many minutes have they played together, Will? Not a ton, about uh, 65, 70. Okay, so 65 minutes of sample, and there are plus 35, you said? Yeah. Oh, wow. So it, it's pretty good, but now the, the thing is, they do become very two-point reliant. When those two are in the court, I mean, unsurprisingly, Tennessee doesn't even take a three on three out of ten possessions. So Last game, it, it, it seemed becomes, like that lineup was matched with Meshack, which seemed a little head-scratching to me. I'm not going to pretend to know more about basketball than – than Rick Barnes, but if I'm going to play my two bigs, I want shooters out there, not necessarily a Meshack. Yeah, well, I think if you put out there, you know, if you have Awaka and Adu out there, I think you really have to have both Ziggler and Vescovy out there with them just to space the court. And then, you know, obviously you want Connect as the, the three. I wouldn't be upset if you put James at the three, but I don't think it's his best position, as we've talked about previously. And you, you've really got to surround that lineup with shooters. Ganey, maybe two, but it's one of those where I could see Tennessee running to this a little bit in this game, especially if they start giving up some 
you know, struggles on the boards. But it's going to be hard for it to make a lot of sense just because Auburn's not going to play Broom and Cardwell together, for example. So you're probably in a situation where you can get away for long stretches with James at the four, or if you want, you can go Ziegler, Vescovy, Ganey, Connect at the same time. I'm going to jump off Auburn for one second because I've been paying attention to some of your posts over the last 12 hours. Uh, We all watched that Kentucky game last night, and it matters to us because obviously we have Kentucky coming in about 10 days. What are you to make of them? I mean, they're I'm kind of uh, confounded and fascinated by them all at the same time, you know, how they show up one game, then they don't, and then last night's game was like that whole microcosm within one game. Um, I, I, you know, I look ahead to that last home game for Tennessee, and I just think that this team, I, I can't get a read on them. I don't think Kentucky fans can get a read on them. I, I think – well, the, the two things that are pretty obvious are the offense rocks and the defense doesn't. And we have enough of the sample size to know that yeah, there is a Kentucky writer I respect, Brandon Ramsey, who got very upset when I said that Kentucky's defense had not turned the corner. And, you know, credit to him, he watches more games than I do. But, I mean, listen, L- they gave up, you know, 75 on 71 possessions to LSU, 95 on 80 to Alabama, which I know it's Alabama, but still – and then last night, 89 on 73 to Mississippi State. They remind me a lot, and I mentioned this in uh, John's chat last night, uh, of the Brandon Ingram and Grayson Allen Duke team, where I kept waiting the whole season for that team to look like a top-five team every night, and it just never happened, and they kind of quietly exited in the Sweet 16. That's what it feels like is coming for them. But at the same time, they still have such a high boom-and-bust ratio that could I see them making the Final Four? Yeah, sure, why not? Could I see them losing to a 13 seed? Sure. I think anything and everything is on the table for those guys. Yeah, I will say, I don't know if they've turned the corner, but I watched a lot of that Mississippi State game last night, and there was at least effort on defense. You know, they blocked a bunch of shots. They got a couple of key steals late in the game. So that is, you know, a progress from where they had been. So I don't know. Again, if I call that turning the corner, but at least they seem to care on defense now. I, I thought it was pretty telling, though, that during the game they're like, Calipari, you know, he says now that the players are actually paying attention to the scouting report, and that's helped. I'm like, what? <laughs> it took them 30 games to start paying attention to the scouting report? And that's with a staff that doesn't even do scouts, really. Well, I guess that's why they don't pay attention. There's nothing noteworthy on there. <laughs> What does Tennessee go down the stretch here over the next four games? What's your record prediction? I'm going to go the boring route and go 3-1. and one. I think you win tonight, you protect home court. It's kind of the, I mean, really outside of one true offensive implosion, Tennessee has been just about unimpeachable at home court this year. So I, I don't think you're going to lose that. I think you probably will beat Kentucky at home, given that you matched up so well with them the first time. And then you're probably going to split the Alabama-South Carolina road games. I would imagine, though, that Alabama is the loss. I, I think winning at Coleman is a tough place to win. We've seen Alabama at home. We've seen them on the road. And they are way better at home than away from home. So I, I think 3-1 and one puts you at 14-4. and four. And uh, you're going to need Alabama to lose a game. But, I mean, they play at Ole Miss tonight. They play at Florida next week. It's definitely possible they lose one. And they, they play you, Tennessee. Tennessee can beat them. And they themselves. play Tennessee. If you go 3-1 and one with the one loss being to South Carolina, I don't even know what that would do to me mentally. That would be pretty tough to accept. Yeah. Yeah, like on one hand, you can't be mad if you beat Auburn, Alabama, and Kentucky, you know, in a two-week stretch. But if you lose to South Carolina, which is a, you know, a perfect letdown opportunity there without the revenge factor, of course. But you probably win the SEC championship. I guess you do win the SEC championship if you go 3-1 and one with the loss to South Carolina, so I guess I would lock that in, but it would have me in a little bit of a mental pretzel. Yeah, no, I agree. It, w- it would be tough to uh, to rationalize away. Is there a particular key to the game tonight that you're honed in on? Is it the 55 points from the players not named Dalton Connect, or is, or is there something else? 55 is the big one for me, and just three-pointers. It's it's the same thing as always with Tennessee games, but especially with Auburn's chaotic behavior. 
They've shot 45% or better eight times and 26% or worse 10 times. So Tennessee's floor is a lot higher, but their ceiling has generally been lower. If Tennessee hits 40% in this game, they're winning, like full stop. But I, I got to see a game where, you know, Auburn's not, you know, 14 for 26 to feel super confident. Will Warren, statsbywill.substack.com. Sometimes I get that mixed up. It's because you don't even need to type in the the address on your little website because th- you don't need to go to it because Will will deliver it to you directly to your email. That's where I read all the game previews. That's where I read all of your pieces. They go right to your inbox. So go sign up, subscribe, statsbywill.substack.com. Get all of the best information directly to your email. Follow him on X, formerly known as Twitter, Stats by Will. Appreciate you and your time as always, my friend. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Will. Feel any better? Um, I like. I feel more informed. I, I like the the fifty five point stat. Yeah, because we've been trying to kind of figure that out ourselves, right? In terms of, you know, we've been doing it with Vescovy and Josiah, and more about their output. But maybe it's not just them two. Whenever you have. Jonas and Zakai scoring at their level and, you know, trying to piece together some points from Awaka and, and other players. So 55, 18-1, and 3-5 when they don't do it. So that's that's pretty telling. I got me fired up. Love I've, stats like that. Yeah, I, I've got another one, too, that we don't talk about. I mean, they're definitely the games where we see Ganey. I don't even think it needs to be double figures, but if Ganey's getting seven, eight points, that's that's a difference maker, too, typically. Yeah, it was pointed out to me. I've been giving everybody a fake stat, and I will say that it's not my fault. Well, it's not solely my fault. I'll take a little blame, but I I, I trust the worldwide leader in sports. I understand that, you know, good journalists, they, they check multiple sources and they do a little bit more vetting, but I'm not a journalist, and I trust ESPN. Cameron Carr's not undefeated this year. He, he, he got in... <laughs> For like 20 seconds against North Carolina and missed a three and got pulled out. So, but it, it doesn't show up on the ESPN game log. So I just go to his game log and it says win, 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 in the 10 games he played or whatever. And then finally someone's like, "Well, actually, are you just ignoring North Carolina?" And I was like, "Damn it!" Because then I looked on like my Yahoo app on my phone and yeah, sure enough, he he had a minute there and and missed a shot. So after a tire, now you can now yeah. say when it's a Cameron Carr game where he braids his hair. He's one to know. So I mean, like the eight, if, if the eighteen and one fifty-five game stat works, then I could say you know something because that, that coincides. Yeah, no, it's that the North same Carolina's game. just yeah. an outlier, yeah. right? Like North, the North Carolina game, throw it's it a out. Throw away. <laughs> Undefeated in games, Cam Carr plays. Undefeated when players not named Dalton Connect scores fifty-five points in games that didn't immediately follow a trip to Hawaii, <laughs> yes. to and from Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That, the Ganey stat I'm looking at, the loss to South Carolina, zero points. The loss to Texas A&M, four points. The loss to Carolina, 11. The loss to Kansas, 13. 15 to Purdue. So, no. He was no, playing well in that Maui tournament, though. Yeah, but I, I, I know. I'm just saying, but you, it didn't lead to wins. I, I'm, think, I'm thinking yeah. post his slump. So, maybe since Sakai got healthy because yeah. he was having to do more. And I think – I think if you had healthy Zakai against Purdue and Kansas, you probably win at least yeah. at least one of those games. I, w- I won't say both, but you win at least one of those games. Do we agree on that? Hundred percent. Oh yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe Ganey's workload got a lot less whenever Zakai got healthy and was playing at a all SEC level. Now that we're moving the goalposts on the stats, like I barely even view the Purdue game as a loss, honestly, with how many fouls got called. That's true. You got to throw that one out, too. It's in Hawaii. The officiating was inconsistent. And, you know, it was a football game on both yeah. sides. You got to throw that one out. I don't view us losing to Purdue, honestly. Like, yeah. In Kansas, you know, that was a deflating game. That was a third game in three days. Who the hell plays three games in three days? The NBA doesn't even do that. They tried their lockout, and the players like rebelled, like, "No, we're not doing it." Mm-hmm. So, like th- the third game in three days, you, you can't even count that. So, really, you can throw out three of our losses. You kind of <laughs> went undefeated in Maui, as far as I'm concerned, or wherever the hell the tournament was, Honolulu. 
tell you, I do. I'd love to play Kansas again, though. After oh, yeah. watching them last night. Oh, they stink. Yeah, they can't score. Well, well, McCullers out, which obviously is a factor, but they they're not they're not that good. They're, they we've always said they're not deep, and now they're down a player, a star player. So your loss to Purdue, Zakai went two of eleven, one of seven from three, scored five points against Kansas, zero for six. 0 for 4 from 3, 0 points. You lost to North Carolina, 9 points, 3 of 8. Played a little bit better. So, like, early season on, like, you know, that when you did struggle in Maui, like if, if you get the Zakai that's in control now and playing at a high level, like, again, I, I think you, you win those games. Even the assist numbers, you know, 0 against Kansas. Yeah, he was bad to start the year. Zero Just, against Purdue. I believe that's right. Let me make sure that's the right thing. Nope, nope, that's not the right still thing. Still getting over that knee. Three, three, th- against three against Purdue and two against Kansas. So, it, not zero, but not much better. No. It's clear the numbers that you can see when Zakai started to feel healthy, you know? Yeah, I mean, it really just looks like it clicked for him starting against North Carolina State. Yeah. And maybe connect and Jonas being sick and, you know, Josiah and Zakai having to win that game for them. Maybe that got him back and got his confidence back. I don't know if it was just a health thing as much as it was like a, hey, I'm, I'm healthy. I just don't have my confidence back. Yeah, yet. yeah. Because they say that's like the big thing about injuries, right? It takes the, it's the mental mm-hmm. hurdle that athletes have to get over. Got the ability on the court. But, yeah, and then he scored 20 points against North Carolina State and then reeled off a really good stretch. Yeah, and that six-game stretch, you know, just ballpark, and he averaged close to 20 a game and about six, seven assists a game. Yeah. I mean, that's strong. Yeah. Has really only had a couple clunkers since then. I mean, I, I didn't think he was, was like, great against Alabama the first go-around, but you didn't need him to be. I didn't think he was great against Vandy. You didn't really need him to be. South Carolina, he kind of stunk. But since the South Carolina game, he's back to playing at a high level. Like, he's been really good basically in every game except A&M. But, I mean, that was just a, a situation where you just weren't making shots as a team. So there's a couple of stats and caveats and, and benchmarks this team needs to hit. Cam Card needs to play. <laughs> we need 55 points. And we need Zakai not to have torn his ACL, uh, you know, recently before the game, or at least have some games under his belt since the ACL tear. That's it. We're pretty damn good when that's the case. Hour two in the books. We'll, we'll talk more about the SEC in general in hour three. It's championship time, baby. Let's go. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.